Chapter 5 5.15pm Hi Dad, what's up? I asked when I got home. My father was in his lazy boy, remote control in hand. What do you mean, what's up? He asked, genuinely surprised. The fight's on tonight. $40 on pay-per-view. Corn chips, bean dip, loud grunting male noises, beer, for me, soda for you and Tom. I practically slapped my forehead. The fight! I'd totally forgotten. It was a big thing. Not because I'm a boxing fanatic, I'm not. But it was a big thing for my dad to actually spend $40 on pay-per-view. He was doing it as a male bonding father-son thing. Me and him and Tom, and probably one or two of my dad's friends from work. That's tonight? I asked. What time? Starts at 7 o'clock. Do your homework, eat something containing vegetables to make your mom happy, then grab some couch. I did a quick mental calculation. The fight started in a little over an hour. The last championship fight had lasted only three rounds. That would leave me maybe 30 minutes to morph and fly to the motel. Should I come up with some excuse for bailing out? No. No, there was no way my dad would buy it. Excellent, I said to my dad. I'll be there. Don't eat all the bean dip. You know what happens when you eat bean dip. My mother came into the living room. Am I even allowed to be in here? She asked mockingly. When does this room become the temple of male aggression? Not till seven, my dad said. Until then, we allow females. Especially if the females remembered to pick up chips on their way home from work. Chips? Wouldn't you rather enjoy some nice carrot sticks and hummus dip? My dad and I just stared at her. Kidding, she said. Just kidding, I have chips. Are Pete and Dominic coming over? Yeah, but you don't have to feed them, my dad joked. Those guys are lucky I don't charge them admission. I raced through my homework and hoped the fight would be the usual two or three round easy knockout. The one good thing about rushing was that it didn't leave me too much time to think. Thinking meant worry, and worry gets in the way of getting things done. It was a tense family gathering at 7 o'clock. Tom seemed as anxious as I was to get away. I could guess why. You see, Tom is one of them. He's a human controller. He had to keep up appearances of normalcy, same as me. But I guess he was trying to get away to go to the grocery store site too. Same as me, again. Tom and I fought in the same war, on different sides. It was strange thinking of Tom, still alive, deep down inside his own head. Trapped. Powerless but able to see and hear and think. Did he enjoy watching the fight through eyes he no longer controlled? Was there anything, anything at all, he could enjoy? It didn't help having thoughts like that. When I started thinking that way, the rage would just build up inside me, till I felt like I'd go nuclear. I told myself, for probably the millionth time, that I was doing all I could to help Tom. All I could. All I could. Fortunately, my dad and his work friends made plenty of noise, so no one noticed Tom checking his watch, or the fact that I kept glancing toward the kitchen, where I could see the wall clock. 
By round 6, I knew I was in trouble. In round 7, neither fighter even looked tired. I decided if it went past round 8, I'd have to make some excuse, no matter how lame. In round 8, a lucky uppercut connected. Ooh, that had to hurt, my dad said. Bug Buck says he goes down, my dad's friend Dominic said quickly. He was right. The challenger staggered, wandered around on rubber legs for a few seconds, then toppled over. Boom! The fight was over. It was now 7.45. I was already late. I snatched the videotape out of the VCR. Dad, can I take this over to Marco's and play it for him? It's almost 8. It's dark out, my father objected. Yeah, Tom said. You might get lost and never come back. And that would be such a pity. I'd have to use your room for my weights and stuff. It was exactly the dumb kind of big brother joke Tom would have made. But of course, it was just something pulled up from Tom's brain by the yerk in his head. For just a second, it occurred to me to ask him, Hey Tom, what's the big secret with the grocery store? Just tell me and I can stay home tonight. I smiled at the thought. Then, flash! Green. Green. Everything was green. It was the greenest place on earth. Trees, moss, vines, ferns. Green everywhere. Marco was there. And the others. They were all there. Marco was talking. In a jungle fighting brain-stealing aliens and 10,000 annoying species of bug, and our resident space cadet is a hot-looking monkey. Somebody wake me up when we get back to reality. Flash! I was back. Back listening to Tom tease me like he was actually Tom. Back to hearing my dad say, Walk, don't ride your bike. Not at night. Especially not when it's about to rain. The vision was so powerful. So real. Not like a dream at all. But like I was actually there in a jungle, listening to Marco complain. I felt my heart pounding. I felt sweat forming on my forehead. What in the heck was going on? What was happening to me? I noticed Tom back out of the room, sliding away like he was going to the kitchen. That brought me back to reality. I grabbed the videotape and took off, still reeling from the insane feeling of being yanked back and forth from one reality to another. I could hear my dad and his friends rehashing the fight round by round as I went up to my room and opened my window as wide as it would go. It took me 25 minutes to morph and fly to the empty motel. I know, I know, I'm late. I apologize as I came in for a landing. I misjudged the distance to the ground, hit it too hard, and rolled over, a tangle of wings and talons. Nice landing, Tobias said with a laugh. Are you okay? Cassie asked me. She rushed over and picked me up. Then she set me down because I was starting to demorph, and I was getting heavier pretty quickly. I'm fine, I said as soon as I could speak. Embarrassed, but fine. It was a shabby little hiding place. The back windows of the motel were covered in plywood. The plywood was covered with graffiti. There were overgrown weeds and broken bottles, and for some reason, an old washing machine. We get to visit all the best places, don't we? I said dryly. Axe was hugging the darkness against the wall. He feels a little obvious out of the woods. With good reason. Anyone who saw him would run away, screaming like a little kid. Unless, of course, they were a controller. A controller would know exactly what he was. Well? Rachel asked, looking at me. She was waiting for me to say, let's go. But for some reason, 
I felt a strange reluctance. I felt... I don't know what I felt. Just that, that moment, that very moment, was terribly important. The others all stared at me, waiting. All I had to say was, let's go. Instead, I looked at my watch. 8.19. 8.19. Like it meant something. Like... Oh man, I was going nuts. I was losing it. What was the matter with me? Should we do this? I wondered. I was surprised to realize I'd spoken out loud. I'd been talking to myself. Why not? I say we do it, Rachel said. There's a huge shock, Marco muttered. Everyone who is surprised, Rachel wants to go for it. Raise her hand. Yeah, I said, shaking off my doubts as well as I could. Yeah, let's go. I was pretty sure it was the right thing to do, but the responsibility was on me. I could have stopped it. I could have talked them all out of it. I could have done something different. But I didn't. At least not then. Let's morph, I said. Chapter 6 8.19 p.m. Let's hope no one has a can of Raid, Marco said. I tried to laugh, but I hate morphing bugs. Back when we started morphing, I figured we'd morph things like lions and bears and eagles. And we do, but we also morph things a lot smaller. The insect world is very useful. Sometimes, smaller is better. That never exactly makes it fun, though. There is no nightmare, no horror movie. No weird psycho vision as scary as actually turning into a cockroach, or a spider, or a flea, or a fly. When you morph a tiger, you still have four limbs. You have two eyes. You have a mouth. You have bones and a stomach and lungs and teeth. Maybe they're all different, but they're all still there. The change to a fly is nothing like becoming a tiger. Nothing is where it should be. Nothing stays the same. The problem with morphs is that they are never exactly the same twice in a row, and the changes happen in bizarre, unpredictable ways. It's not smooth. It's not logical. It's not gradual. I started to shrink, but when I was still almost entirely human, still probably three feet tall, I felt my skin harden. See, flies don't have bones. They have an exoskeleton. Their outer shell is what holds them together in one piece. And my exoskeleton was growing. My soft human skin was being replaced by something dark, something hard as plastic. My body was squeezed into segments, insect segments, a head, a thorax, an abdomen. And when I was still at least two feet tall, way too tall to be anything like a fly, the extra legs came bursting, squishing, slurping out of what had been my chest. My own true legs collapsed as they shriveled down to match my new fly legs. I fell forward into the dirt, face down. Not that I had much of a face anymore. My proboscis had already begun to form from my melting mouth and lips and nose and tongue. The proboscis was as big as my fly legs. A long, retractable hollow tube. Flies eat with the proboscis. They spit saliva all over food. Wait till it gets mushy, then suck it up. It isn't pretty. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst was the eyes. I still had semi-human vision when I saw Cassie, 
lying in the dirt beside me, suddenly grow fly eyes. They popped out of her human eyes. Popped out. Huge and devoid of a soul. Big black balloons that sort of inflated out of her own eye sockets. That's a sight that will make you heave up your lunch. My own vision went dark. I was blind for a couple of seconds. Then, yow! The fly eyes turned on, and the whole world was different. How can I explain what it's like to look through compound eyes? It's like you're watching a thousand tiny TV sets all at once. A thousand tiny TV sets, all clustered together, and each set has really weird color. Like someone twisted all the color knobs. Yellow is purple, green is red, blue is black. It's insane. Like some disturbed kid got loose with a Crayola box and colored in everything with different colors. But what's awful is the way the eyes look in all directions at once. I could see the tube that was now my mouth, sticking out in front of me. I could see my own twig legs. I could see the stiff hairs poking out of my armored body. Still, there is one good thing about being a fly, if you can get past the screaming horror of it. Part of what I could see was the pair of gossamer wings that sprouted from what should have been my back. Flies can fly. Man, can they fly. Everyone okay? I asked. Aside from the fact that I make myself sick? Yes, Margot said. Then, paloosh! An explosion on the ground ahead of me. The dirt just seemed to blow up, like a mortar explosion. What the? Rachel yelped. Paloosh! It's starting to rain, guys, Tobias informed us calmly. The explosions of mortar shells were just big, fat raindrops hitting the dirt. Jeez, I thought someone was trying to kill us, Cassie said. Let's get on with this, I said. I fired the springs in my legs and turned on my wings. I was airborne instantly. It's not like being a bird. A bird has to really work at flying. For a fly, it's automatic, instantaneous. You think, let's fly, and a split second later, you're zooming crazily through the air. Across the weird mass of tiny TV sets, I could see the others rise up from the ground. They flew like pigs like big fat balls with these tiny little wings that looked like they couldn't lift a speck of dust. But, like I said before, flies can fly. I zoomed wildly upward, like a wallowing rocket. Ha ha ha! Oh man! Rachel exulted. I'd forgotten how great this was. Disgusting, but oh yeah, these things can haul, Marco agreed. Tobias, you only think you can fly. You haven't flown till you've flown maggot airways. Maybe so, Tobias said calmly. And not to burst your balloon, but you guys are all heading the wrong way. We are? Yes, you're heading toward a dumpster, Tobias said with a laugh. Turn left. Turn left and get some altitude. Then you should be able to see the car lights on the road. I would have smiled if I'd had a mouth. The flybrain had been easy to control, because we'd already done this morph before. But the fly's instinct still had some input. See, the fly smelled rotting food in the dumpster, and it knew right where it wanted to go. We followed Tobias's directions. I rocketed higher, and then... Whoa, whoa, what is that? Are those cars? Cassie demanded. These eyes are seeing ultraviolet light. 
Axe commented. They're seeing something, that's for sure. I agreed. The cars racing past were not cars so much as they were glowing red and purple meteors. The road was a blur of movement, all of it strange and disturbing to the fly brain. Stay above the cars, Tobias warned. Why? Axe asked. A little something we call windshields, Tobias said dryly. A windshield moving 60 miles an hour is death to bugs. Good point, I agreed. Going higher. I powered my wings and bobbed and weaved and rolled higher and higher. But the fly inside my head didn't like it. He lived close to the ground. The ground is where you found food. And food was all the fly brain cared about. It's starting to rain harder, Tobias said. I began to notice more drops. They were sparkling meteorites, each three times my own size. They plummeted around me but in my fly scale of things, they were fairly far apart. Then, more rain, closer together, falling thick and fast all around me. Wham! Whoa! I was slammed. I tumbled through the air, covered in something like heavy glue. Water, just water, but sticky as glue to my fly body. My wings shook off the water, and I found myself flying upside down. I spun around and advanced again. Oh man, I complained. This is a whole new reason not to like rain. I'm going ahead, Tobias said tensely. Raining too hard, I gotta land. Wham! A glancing blow from a raindrop the size of a truck. It spun me around in the air. Oh man! Jake, are you okay? Cassie cried. Once again, those amazing fly wings turned me around and kept me in the air. But suddenly, I realized I was in a sea of brilliant lights. Purple, red, green. Green? Motion. Every hair on my nasty fly body felt it. Every screen in my fly eyes sensed it. Something moving. Fast. Big. A monstrous wall came at me with impossible speed. It was a mountain. Huge. Tall. Sloped. A mountain moving 60 miles an hour right at me, glowing in a rainbow of eerie colors. A windshield. Uh-oh, I said. Hello, Phanomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. Um, this is episode 100, which is crazy. Like, wow. Uh, thank you everyone for, if you've listened up to here, thank you for coming along this ride with me. Uh, I want to keep going, but this is a pretty cool benchmark to hit, 100th episode. I do not feel like doing any of the, uh, you know, outro notes tonight, so we're just going to skip it tonight, and we'll do it next time. So, I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day, the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.